and uh, those technical difficulties resulted in me having to plug my phone in uh, to an outlet instead of the microphone. And so you're you're hearing the Apple microphone right now, which is not what we typically do. Uh, but it, we could either use the, the high-end mic or we could not have the batteries die during the worship part of the service, and there was no in-between. So uh, let's pray in preparation for the message. Um, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, that you be with us this morning. I pray that you would give us your grace, uh, that your mercy would be on us. I pray that... Uh, this morning, I would speak the word uh, as it comes from you, like just speak the speak the truth, speak the gospel. Help me to over and over again come back to what uh, what you have for us, what your will is for us, what your desire is. Um, I pray that your spirit would speak beyond what my words say, and that you be with the folks who are here today that that they would hear from you, that they would know you more, uh, that they would encounter you uh, radically and deeply. Uh, through the gospel this morning, uh, and and I pray that your word would find uh, places to to take root and grow, and and beyond that, Lord, places where there is sin or or brokenness or or stuck spots or strongholds in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would tear those things down and create uh, create fertile ground where there was once nothing but a stony field. Um, I pray all these things in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so I have a bit of a game we're going to play uh, this morning. I'm going to give you a couple of lines from a song. I'm going to see how many people can identify these songs and maybe even give the next couple words. Everybody with me? No, we're not going to do music with it. Uh, I, it is just I am guessing that most of these we'll see, okay? Uh, all right, so my first one, I am not going to sing, probably. Because they'll cut me off if I try. Uh, don't need money, don't need fame, don't need no credit card to ride this train. It's strong and it's sudden and it's cruel sometimes, but it might just save your life. That's the power of. Really, y'all don't know Huey Lewis in the news? Like, how is that? Or Back to the Future? I she knew it. Why didn't you call it out? You you left me hanging. She did. I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. There's the other problem I don't hear very well. Uh, all right, I'll go a little, call louder. Or this time, James, if she calls out, you, you, you megaphone for her. Uh, if I should stay, shh, if I should stay, I would only be in your way. So I'll go, but I know I'll think of you every step of the way. And... I <laughs> Thank you. Uh, extra credit if you can say who sang it. Dolly Parton is the only one who ever sang that song. And I'll pray for you. Uh, they, they say time it takes, takes a toll on the body. Uh, makes <laughs> No cheating there, Rebecca. You're not supposed to. Uh, makes a young girl's brown hair turn gray, but honey, I don't care. I ain't in love with your hair. What is going on? Yeah, but I did these before with you. You're cheating. You knew the answers before we started, and so you're like, 
Oh, so we all knew that one? What, how does it go? What's the chorus? Yeah, I'm going to love you forever and ever, forever and ever, amen. Uh, I know that your door is always open. No! Oh my gosh! Larry, what happened? And your path is free to walk. That makes me... Oh my gosh, it's Glenn Campbell. What's the song name? Gentle on my mind. That's right. It's a, it's a Bits family favorite, right? I know. Uh, you never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips? Do we know this one yet? Not a country song. And there's no tenderness like before in your... Top Gun. It is not Top Gun. It's wrong on so many levels. And there's no tenderness before like in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, baby. But baby, I know it. Yes, it's Unchained Melody is in Top Gun. This is You've Lost That Loving Feeling. It is in Top Gun? I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Whatever. Uh, wise men say only fools rush in. Can anybody name it based on the first line? Can't help falling in love with you. Ah, <laughs> oh, stop it, dear. I'm sing like a bird. Uh, uh, we're no strangers to love. You know the rules, but so do I. A full commitment's what I'm thinking of. You wouldn't get this from any other guy. I just want to tell you how I'm feeling. Anybody know this one yet? Going to make you understand? <laughs> that is right. That is the great Rick Astley. Um, all right. So there's a whole collection of what's the common theme in all of them? They're all love songs, right? So anybody who is in the room who's been buried for longer than 10 years how accurate are most love songs regarding the nature of, like, romantic love? Like, do they hit it on the head, or is it all fireworks and not very accurate? Carly's laugh. I think the Randy Travis did it, but that's it. Uh, why, why did I start with this? Because we're talking about the, the marks of a disciple, and today we're going to talk about love, which is the third mark that Jesus says, like, they will know you are my disciples by, and, and love is the word, right? And... The reason I started with this is because our culture, our culture, the world we live in, has made the word love mean absolutely nothing. Are you all with me? I love tacos. I love sunny days. I love uh, some of the songs on that list, but not the ones that Whitney Houston ruined. Um, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love Jesus. I love preaching the gospel. See the stretch there? Like, love has gone so far in our culture that it's lost a lot of its meaning. But we talk about love, and almost always, this sort of, like, super sudsy, like, high-energy, like, Twitter-patient kind of love is the thing that we think of. Or the rest of the culture, oftentimes, they think of physical stuff, right? Or they think of all of these things. And oftentimes, like, like it's just not a very accurate representation. And so as we look at the gospel, as we look at the teaching of Christ, as we look at, like, Jesus saying, hey, this is how they'll know you're a disciple of mine, 
by the way you love one another, right? That's easy to lose track of, and it's easy to lose the weight of what he's saying. Um, and in fact, actually, like in the ancient world, this is a huge statement. It like stands in the, the stream of Jewish teaching. It stands in, um, like in contrast to the rest of the world. It, it is just a very radical thing to say. And it was manifest in the church in amazing and beautiful and like, like exceptional ways. And we're going to dig into this a little bit. Um, quickly, we're going to review. We're in a series right now. Did my slide go forward? It did. Um, we are talking about uh, Lent as a season of training. Like, like historically in the ancient church, people would train in preparation for Easter Sunday, right? Like they would fast, they would pray, they would spend extra time like in uh, devotions, they would have extra worship, they would have meetings and everything else. They would all this stuff to prepare their hearts for celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so like this was a big thing and we're... Our sort of version of this, as we're looking at Lent this season, the, the six weeks preceding Easter, we are um, looking at the things that are signs that a person is a disciple of Christ. Um, the last two weeks, we've looked at the ones that were mentioned in the Great Commission, like baptism, which is not just physical baptism, like by water. It's also baptism, like new life in you as a result of dying to your old self and being raised again like in baptism being symbolic of burial and resurrection, um, like that baptism, that new life is one. Obeying his teachings, which is weird because we don't emphasize that in the modern church very much, do we? Like you, you very rarely hear, like we talk about grace because we like grace. Grace is good and grace is good. But obedience is a part of the equation. Like we come to obey Christ because we love him, because this is what it means to live a new life. Um, to live in him, to live like in his kingdom. Um, it is a natural response to his, his sacrifice for us. Um, and so then finally, like, like we're going to talk about love this week. Uh, main point here, if you're going to fall asleep, right? Number one, our culture has it wrong. Love is almost nothing like what they say. Everybody with me? It just, that's not it. Um, but, uh, people who are Jesus' disciples will love each other in such a way and to such a degree that the whole world will notice. I'm going to say that again. Followers of Christ, people who belong to Jesus, we will love and care for each other at a level that is incredible. Um, and especially in a world that is starving for something more than what pop culture tells them, Right? That, that, you know, is, is literally dying of thirst for something bigger and more significant and, and something that will give escape and meaning and all. I mean, like, like the world is just drying out and we have something that is better. As much as I love the Elvis song, in reality, the love of Christ manifest in the folks around me, I would trade any day of the week for, for that, right? Um, and this was a thing in the ancient church. I'm going to, Touch on this real quick before I dive in. Uh, there's a, a great quote. I grabbed this actually. St. Jerome is the, uh, one of the early church fathers. He was the first guy to translate the Bible into another language, which was, I mean, maybe Syriac was before that, but I don't know. Like, that's a little cloudier. Uh, he translated the Bible into Latin. So it's like the Vulgate of St. Jerome, if you know that episode of The Simpsons. Um, 
but Jerome is famous. Like when he tells this story uh, in his commentary on Galatians about the Apostle John. The Apostle John is the only one of the 12 apostles that died of natural causes, right? And he was old. Like he was in his 90s. And uh, he was so old and so frail that he could not attend worship on his own. And so people would carry him to church. And he would go, they would carry the Apostle John, the guy who knew Jesus. They'd physically carry him into the room, and he would frequently, like, insist on preaching. And he would get up, and he would say one thing, because he was so, like, he was old, and he was, he had difficulty, like, speaking at length. He would get tired, um, and so forth. But he would preach the same sermon week after week after week. He would say, little children, love one another. And at last, one of his disciples, one of the people who was like in John's uh, entourage, um, having heard this over and over and over again, he says, Master, why do you always say that? And John replied, because it is the Lord's command. And if this only is done, it is enough. It is hard to undersell the weight and the magnitude of love in the church as a different kind of thing in the world. My, uh, my first experience in church was that. It was these people love each other so much, I don't know what it is, I want it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I read uh, a great line, actually, let me see if I can find it. I wrote it down. This is from Tertullian, Tertullian, another one of the early church fathers. Actually, it's one of the first several books written by the church after the closing of the scriptures, right? And he says, it is mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. See how they love one another, they say. Um, the early church was known for this. They were known for radical commitment to each other. They were known for caring for each other and oftentimes caring for the poor or the helpless. Um, this is who these people were. And it was so much that you just couldn't miss it. Anybody ever know someone like that? Who like, they would look at you and the first thing they would say is, is there anything I can do for you? Or you were talking and it didn't matter what you were talking about, they were interested. I mean, those people are amazing. Um, and that is what we're called to be. So we're going to dive in here. Like, this is the big difference, though. Main point, if you're going to fall asleep, now's the time to do it. Disciples of Christ love one another. And this is the third marker. This is the obvious, big, glowing light in a dark world. So, big key ideas. I'm going to do my key ideas before I do my scripture here, okay? Jesus' new command is to love our brothers and sisters radically. And I say that radically, not in a small way. Um, it's another word that's lost a lot of its weight um, and lost a lot of its meaning in our culture. But this is actually a quote from Jesus. So like he says, uh, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the verse we're looking at today. We're going to build off of this from here all the way out. Um, but understand, he has said this thing in verse 34, and there's stuff that comes before it and stuff that comes after it. The stuff that comes before it is the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, John is the only one who records it, where Jesus gets up and he washes his disciples' feet. I'm not going to get into it at length, but this is a huge, like, like awesome, very interesting topic where only the lowest, lowest slaves would wash feet. 
Um, and in Jewish law, there are cases where, like there's a case, a famous case in ancient Jewish law, where a mother sued her son for the opportunity to wash his feet. Isn't that weird? Like, and the court ruled, well, you can do it as a show of devotion, utter devotion. Um, and it was always a lesser to a greater. And read wife or mom. Never amongst greater to lesser. Right? And so when Jesus washes his disciples' feet and he says, guys, go and do this too. And then in the next line he says, love one another. Love one another so much and so big and so like crazy out of sync with the world that folks look at you and they say, wow, those guys must be Christians. When was the last time you heard somebody say that? That guy must be following Jesus. Look at how loving he is. In reality, we grow to expect the church to do the opposite. You know, what do we know about church? Well, you've got to be careful at annual meetings because people lose their tempers and fights happen, right? And, like, sometimes we need to argue about the color of the carpet. We don't actually do that. We never have. I'm not using this church as an example. I worked for a church that they fought over the color of the carpet. I got yelled at once, called on Christmas Eve to be yelled at about how cookies were done in Christmas Eve service by someone who didn't go to church that that service. Like, this is the opposite of what we're supposed to be, right? But we get used to this where it's like, well, I love my church, but this person drives me nuts. You know the one I'm talking about? You're probably driven nuts by him too, or that or I'm being really intentionally vague. So you can say, oh, yeah, there are people here who drive me nuts, right? But this is not a manifestation of what Christ is teaching. It's not like in harmony with that. If you want to see what harmony with that looks like, you can look at the early church. Like in the book of Acts, there's all this argument, well, early Christians were socialists. No, early Christians just loved each other so much they didn't care about anything else. They didn't care about their possessions or their their stuff. They didn't care about who got fed first. They didn't care about like like anything except for caring for one another and loving one another. And there are people in this room who are amazing like that, who will like just step over anything to take care of the people around them. And you all know who they are. You don't have to point at them. Um, those people are phenomenal. They are living out this command. So the early church, I didn't want to include the verses because I don't want to go too long. But almost all the verses we're going to look at are from 1 John. Because when John writes his letter, like a big chunk of the letter is just an exposition of this idea. And if you really want to grasp this concept from John's point of view, read 1 John this week. It's actually a bunch of the verses for reading this week are from 1 John. And it's all about this like, hey, this love is a manifestation. It is something we are commanded to do. It's a part of us. And so in 1 John 2, we have, uh, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you're a person who says, I am in Christ, these teachings, these commands, these things that he put out there and how he lived will show up. And they'll show up because to walk in Christ is to have like commitment to him. It is to belong to him. It is to follow him. And then even more so, it is to have his spirit in us like growing and becoming more. Well, how did Christ love us? If we're going to have that conversation, I talk about this a lot with husbands, right? Husbands, love your wives as... 
Wow, can't do it better than that, huh? As Christ loves the church, right? And a lot of times husbands will jump right over that and say, wives, obey your husbands. Which is the opposite of what Christ love your wi- or husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church means. Why? Because Christ loved the church by dying for it. Like Christ loved the church by washing his disciples' feet. Like there are literally jokes about foot washers in the ancient literature. Like, I, I'm trying to think of other jobs other than pastor that people make fun of to that degree, right? Um, but they, they would tell jokes about it. Jesus humiliated himself to demonstrate love. Even more so than that, he died on the cross for our sins. Like Jesus went to the cross. He was nailed to the cross. He could command angels from heaven to save him, and he chose to suffer and die on our behalf. And he prayed while he was on the cross. He prayed, like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Like he even prayed for the people who were persecuting him, the people who were crushing him, the people who had beaten him and mocked him. He teaches us and guides us in spiritual growth. I don't have a reference for that one. Like these are, I'm not going to use the, look them up if you want to read them. They're pretty fun. Um, but like when Christ walked with his disciples for years, um, there's a lot of times where he'll get frustrated. And he's like, oh my gosh, how long am I putting up with you people? Do you really not get it? Um, there's a phrase he uses, little faiths. You little faiths. And it's actually just a single word. And in Greek, he's kind of making fun of them. Like, like you spiritual midget, you know, that, I don't know, I, anyway. Um, and he, he gets frustrated, but he continues to love them, and he continues to teach them, and he continues to guide them. Why? Because spiritual growth, when I am growing spiritually, I come to know Christ more. I grow best when people who are willing to invest in me put the time in to invest in me. Um, All of us are like that. We're designed to learn to follow Christ by being in relationship with other people. To walk the Christian life alone is to miss the whipped cream on top of the pumpkin pie. Right? The best part. That relationship, that connection, that intimacy, that like knowing Christ through knowing the people around you. It is amazing. And like that means that if we're going to love each other in this way, it means that we need to find people to teach us because we have to be teachable. And then we have to look for people and develop relationships with them that are focused on spiritual growth. And that's hard, right? Because we're all busy. There are really important things to do in life, right? Such important things to do, like work, and there's new stuff on TV, and... How many things really rank above this, though? Ultimately, manifesting the love of Christ toward each other is what we're commanded to do. It should be in our spiritual and in our like, like organizational DNA. It should be who we are. By correcting us, I know this is not a fun one. Um, everybody remembers as a kid, this is going to hurt you or hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you, right? And the reality is, sometimes Christ corrects us. Um, when I worked at the home, I would have kids get mad at me because I was, uh, I would oftentimes, like, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't put up with nonsense. And they would say, well, you're only messing with me because I hate you, or because you hate me. And I would say, no, if I hated you, I'd do nothing. Because nothing is easy. Like, you have no idea how easy it is to do nothing. There is no amount of messing with you that pays off better than doing nothing. Right? We correct people, we intervene, we spend time with them, we teach them, we walk with them because 
We love with them. We, we love them. We love them with the love of Christ, like toward them. And that is a process. That is a lifestyle. It is not an instant thing. It is not an easy thing. It is a learned and grown, like sort of thing. Um, by the way, as I'm going through this, anybody think of a single love song that talks about the idea of "I love you so much that I'll humiliate myself to take care of you." I love you so much that I would do anything to help you grow and be better. I love you so much that even when you sin against me, even when you wrong me, I will love you anyway. And I will pay for that sin you committed, that wrong you did against me. I'll pay it off myself. Like, our idea of love is never large enough in this culture. Oh, some boy thinks I'm pretty. Oh, some girl is willing to, like, let me kiss her or whatever. I'm, I'm sure modern music doesn't go beyond that. <laughs> That's not love. It's all about me, right? So when Christ corrects us, that is love. He models love and righteousness. He comes. He stands before us. He lives with us. He shows us what love is. And these could keep going. I could do this for days and days and days, except I don't have that much time. Um, and so our big key idea, next big key idea here is that, like, so Jesus commands us to love radically, to love at a level that is beyond bad pop songs. Um, and honestly, beyond what a lot of Christian music does. That was a very popular thing for a long time. I don't know. I don't listen to much radio anymore, so I don't know what is popular. But once upon a time, like when I was in high school, every Christian song, you could change out Jesus for baby and it makes for a pretty okay love song, right? But a really bad worship song. Because Christ gave us so much more than that. And so that love is a product. Like our love for one another is a product of new life in Christ. It is Jesus manifest in us and through us. And here's my other big illustration for the day. I tried to get dressed this morning. I ironed a shirt. And I'm not taking my shirt. I have another shirt on under this. Uh, I ironed my shirt this morning, and this is actually my original sermon illustration. I decided not to do it. Um, I ironed a shirt that I really like, and I couldn't fit in it because I've gotten too fat. And so I, uh, I decided, well, I'll wear one of my Roadhouse shirts. Because a few years ago, I was in a, in a Zoom call Bible study thing, and Larry gave me grief because I was drinking out of my Roadhouse mug. And he's like, Eric, every time I see you, you're drinking out of a roadhouse mug, or you're talking about it, or you're wearing a shirt, or what? Do you eat there all the time? What's the deal? Why are you always, you know, all of this stuff? And, like, I, I'll admit, I'm, I'm a fan. <laughs> it's my cheers. Uh, you laugh. <laughs> yeah, but cheers is, anyway. Um, New life in Christ is more than a t-shirt we wear or an outward product we show people so they know what we are. The love of Christ manifests in us toward our brothers and sisters, towards um, the family of God, toward these people, is not a task we do. It is a life we live. It is who we are, right? And I, hear, I, I will explain, part of my thinking here is I'm wearing my Roadhouse shirt and it's an outward expression of this thing that I love. But the reason I can't wear a regular shirt is because I eat really unhealthy and I've gained a bunch of weight. And so like I've consumed the truth of this organization and it's become manifest in my life and in my belly. Um, 
In the same way, we consume the gospel. We consume the truth about who Christ is. We consume intimacy with Christ through worship and fellowship and prayer and all of these things, our spiritual growth, our discipleship relationships, and it is manifest. It shows up and like seeps out of us. My little brother, I always feel bad for him. When he eats Indian food, he smells like curry because he sweats it out and it is gross. Um, I really hope he watches this sermon so I can... Uh, but what he consumes is manifest in him. What we consume, whether it's a low-rent version of what real love is, or the gospel of truth that says, I love you even when you're awful. I love you when you're my enemy. I love you enough to do anything to redeem you, to anything to make you new. And when you struggle to follow me, I still forgive you. When you struggle to obey me, when you struggle to love me back, I still love you. Dear friends, this is from 1 John again, because John basically unpacks the whole idea in his uh, text. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Say that again, that we might live through him, meaning if we are in Christ, if we follow him, we have new life through him. And that love is made complete. It is made manifest. It comes out of us. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Let me say this again. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Um, I have talked to people over the years when tragedy strikes. They'll say, where is God in all of this? Why didn't he show up? And I'm here to tell you that a lot of times he didn't show up because we're busy doing something else. Because we're not putting our arms around our brothers and sisters, around our neighbors. We're not weeping with them. We're not showing up with cookies. We're not loving them. Because we just have stuff to do. Or that guy kind of annoys me. Or it'll be really, really awkward. But Christ in us makes us different. It makes us into someone, into people who love beyond what is natural, beyond what is normal, to a point that people will look and say, oh my goodness, I don't know what that is, but I want it. And so we may not see God. He may not show up visibly. But I'm here to tell you, if Christ is in us, we will see glimpses of him and echoes of him. And we will know him intimately through and through. And when we encounter people who are hurting or lost or struggling, they will encounter him. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit 
and he has seen and te- or, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Mind you, it does not say we have to earn it. It does not say we have to be good enough in order for Christ to live in us. It means, like he's saying, look, believe in him, follow him, and he will live in you. Like, like this is not an earned thing. It is an automatic thing. And that is amazing. Because if I have to earn it, I'm going to blow it. God is love. Say this again. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. In this world, we are like Jesus. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love his brother or sister. There's a bit of text, right? I felt like John could preach this part of the sermon better than me. Amen? Christ in us brings us to a place where we love folks. If you look in your heart or if you listen to yourself talk and you hear that bitterness and you hear that anger, that's a thing to dig out. Pray for folks that you despise. Serve them until you figure out how to love them. Be open. Be honest. Speak the truth in love. The love of Christ toward our brothers is a sign of new life through the Spirit. And the opposite is also true. First uh, John again, right? For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Every chapter in this book, by the way. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Meaning we used to be this way. We died to that life. We have been brought to life again through baptism, through the resurrection, through like new life in Christ. And we love one another because that's what we do. I'm not going to talk about dogs, so don't pick on me. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brothers or sisters is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. By the way, it does not say that no murderer can gain eternal life. It does not say that if we go out and murder, Christ can't forgive us and make us new. It says that if I am murdering, eternal life is not living in me. Because it's, it's just contrary. This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions or truth. I will tell you that this is a week, this is a time in our history where people are hurting and lonely and scared, right? Oh my gosh, is World War III going to start tomorrow? Oh my gosh, this guy's saying this, and it's so awful, I have to hate him. 
and he's evil. Oh my gosh, I can't talk to my son anymore because he doesn't agree with me about A, B, C, and D. And we've all heard it, right? Hop on social media. It's either people pretending they're happy or it's people angry. There's like no in-between, except for me. I put up silly nonsense. Um, Thank you. Uh, This is a time where people aren't starving. People aren't without material possessions because we have so much of that. We have so much of that, and we have traded intimacy in our relationships. We've traded family. We've traded friends. We've created a world where children are, are lonely where some people, the majority of their meaningful conversations happen via text message. I uh, met my wife on the Internet, and I'm here to tell you that the day we met in person and had a conversation, I fell in love with her, even though I'd been talking with her online, typing back and forth for months, because typing isn't words, right? But that version of interaction, that version of life has left people alone. We have something, or we're supposed to have it. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love in a way that is, like, radical and huge, and there are people starving for it. They may not lack material possessions, but you can look all around you and see people who are drinking themselves into oblivion because they're lonely or hopeless. We carry hope. We carry meaning. We carry truth. We carry redemption. We carry with us everywhere we go freedom from the past. Everywhere. But what do we do with it in truth and in action? I'm going to skip over the rest of this. Read, read First John entirely this week, okay? Uh, love and service manifest, excuse me, love and service manifest are different marks of sheep and goats. I'm going to uh, paraphrase this one. We all know Matthew 25, right? Where in the begin or at the end of time, God comes and He collects up all of everybody and He judges them and divides them into sheep and goats. We uh, do we know this story? When was I hungry? When was I thirsty? When were you in jail or sick or in whatever? Whenever you did it for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Um, this passage is interesting because we use it a lot, but we use it wrong because in the original text. Um, Number one, judgment has already happened. People aren't being judged for what they did. They're being judged for what they are. These are sheep. These are goats. I don't know a lot about sheep and goats, but I'm guessing that they probably behave distinctly different from each other. John? They're Okay. <laughs> they're not the same. And so, hey, you sheep go over there. Hey, you, you goats go over there. The sheep, they took care of folks. They took care of people who were hungry or thirsty or in jail or whatever, strangers who needed, like, shelter, um, people with, in need of clothes or in prison or whatever. Like, they took care of these people. And he says, Jesus responds, he says, listen, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. We oftentimes will take this and we'll apply it to the whole world. And that's not illegitimate. But the primary purpose, the primary message there that Christ is relating is, if you're doing it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. And so, like what Jesus is talking about, listen, if you want to know whether you're saved or not, you want to know if you're a sheep or a goat, you want to know like where you're at or like how much growth you've got to do, look at this. Are you feeding? Are you caring for? Are you spending time with a stranger? Are you sitting down with a reject that nobody wants to spend time with? 
you're loving people who are strictly unlovable. Because in doing so, you serve Christ. In loving brothers and sisters in this church, and at the church over there, and the one over there, and the one over there, you're loving Christ. Now, that will naturally boil over onto everyone else. That was probably a harder phrase than I meant. If I light a lamp and I like, you know, if I'm in a dark room and I light a lamp, it's going to shine on everything. There ain't no avoiding that. It's going everywhere, right? If I love brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to love everybody. It's going to come out of that. It is an unavoidable byproduct. So we must, uh, how, how do we apply this? It's a lot. Uh, first off, understand love is not a cheap feeling that we have. Every time Christ talks about love, he talks about action. As the great philosophers said, love, love is a verb. <laughs> Only one. Um, so how do we apply this? First off, Christ taught us how to love and how to cultivate new life. If you sit down and you look at the teachings of Jesus, and actually this is one of the marks of a believer, we know his teachings and we live them. And these are things like pray for people who hate you. Ugh, I don't want to pray for people who hate me. Pray for them to get stepped on, right? This means that you have to pray for people in the other political party. Right? It means serving people, carrying their gear an extra mile. It means going above and beyond what they asked for to show them Christ. Like, we have to kill off our old self. We have to become something new. And that something new is somebody who loves Christ enough to obey his teachings. And by extension, it spreads on to other people. Like Christ, over and over again, he talks about how do you love other people. Well, you know, the, the story of um, the unforgiving servant, this guy who owes a king $10,000, and he leaves. And uh, like having been forgiven, he said, I can't pay you back. And the king says, well, I'll forgive your debt. And as he leaves the castle, he runs into another fellow who owes him $5, and he has him beaten and thrown in jail to pay him back. It's, and the king says, well, wait a minute. Why would you do that? I forgave you. Why don't you forgive them? We're to forgive each other. Yeah, but you don't know how big of a jerk that guy is. We're to forgive each other. When we come to a place of worry, we have to pray. And it oftentimes feels like prayer is the last resort because I can't actually do anything helpful. Right? Prayer should be the first. Last and somewhere in the middle, too. Second, love is active and alive. It must be aimed outward. And I cannot say this enough. Love only is love if you aim it at something. I love my kids, and so I play with them. Sometimes I play with them doing things that I don't want to do. Anybody? Just me? Everybody who's got a small child will tell you, I love my kids, and that's why I don't put the pillow over their face at 2 in the morning when they're screaming. Right? I mean, just until they pass out, not to kill them, probably. Like, It's got to be aimed elsewhere. We have to love people outside of us. Just saying, I am loving without loving something is nonsense. It's kind of like stinkling on or wearing a T-shirt to say, you know, well, I have love. I love people. How? Um, Finally, we must steep ourselves like over and over again all the time in Scripture. And like... We have to live it in our lives. We have to make it manifest in who we are. In doing so, we change our hearts. 
in doing so by obeying Christ and by memorizing and learning, we become more and more like God. And part of that is knowing him. Um, I have a quick couple of illustrations. Does everybody know this one? This is the Trinity, right? Um, the Trinity is a really difficult idea. There is one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, right? Um, and God the Father is not God the Son, but they are both God. God the Spirit is not the Son, is not the Father, but they're both God. And a lot of times people say, well, what the heck is up with that? I got another illustration. I made this one. That's why it's kind of like low rent. Um, why does the Trinity exist? I'm sure there are a lot of reasons. The one example I'm going to offer you is if God is love, like John says over and over again, by nature he is love, then the Trinity is a necessary part of it because the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father, and the Father loves the Spirit. Like in order for God to be loved by nature, there has to be something else to love. But only God is eternal. And so only God will suffice to love within his nature. When we become like Christ, when we grow and are filled with the spirits, we learn to aim this outward and become more and more like God. This is the fundamental truth of this. It is love. Love is not. Love is not a high school fling. Love is Christ dying for us and everything that is love in our lives, in the secular world, in the real world, everywhere, like is an echo of that truth. Last one. Um, this is an act of obedience. It is a state of being. It is not a forced thing. It is not something we do. It's not like I walk out and I look at my neighbor and I say, oh my gosh, I have to put up with that guy or I'm going to go love him for a minute so I can get on with my day, right? Because while it is an action-oriented thing, it is a service, it is a treating them and recognizing that they are like, like the Imago Dei, like they carry the image of God in them, it is also an attitude, and it is also at least a little bit of feeling. Love comes out of me. It is not a shirt I wear. It is not an act I put on. My challenge to you this week, and actually we're going to do communion, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but I want to kind of close up with this idea, like the mark of a disciple, like what we are, who we are called to be, who we were made to be, um, foundational to it is loving our brothers and sisters. And my challenge for you would be to look at your heart and look at your life and look at your family and look at your relationships with the guys on the other side of the room and look at all of that and ask yourself, am I loving these people? And am I carrying that out of here? Am I serving the people around me? Am I looking for opportunities to be Jesus, to be the voice, the hands, the, the feet, the like presence of Christ in the lives of people who are lost? Again, this week, like, everybody's hurting. And parents, I've talked to parents, quite a few parents actually, who are worried about their kids because they love them and they're scared, right? And I've talked to teachers who were like broken up. And I've talked to... You know, I've talked to young people who are broken over it. Like everything, like the, the thing that happened this week with, with um, the young lady, like it's awful. I mean, it, it has rocked a lot of people to the core. And those are folks who need Jesus.
They need God to be present, and that is our job. But that's not it. Like the guy next to you or down the street or the guy who works with you who's recently divorced and is lost, that guy needs Jesus. Yeah, we love each other, brothers and sisters, but we also love everyone else. My challenge for you is to love the folks in the room around you and at the other room down the street and the other one down the street and the other one down the street. But also love your brothers, love your neighbors, love the lost, love the hurting, love the hungry. Um, This is a communion Sunday, and uh, we're going to actually do communion the old way. So I'm going to call my guys forward. Uh, Is everybody comfortable with doing communion where we pass the plates? All right, if you are not, pass it by, and I will distribute communion again afterwards to people who are not comfortable. Fair enough? Um, But you've already kept us three hours.